This podcast is sponsored by Uncana, trusted natural solutions. Uncana is a leading voice of advocacy for CBD in the veteran LEO and federal communities. Veteran-owned and operated, the Uncana team is actively fighting for DOD access to CBD with political pressure, community support, and a simple message. Hashtag OpNatural. Uncana is vertically integrated with industry leaders from seed to sell, supplying premium small batch products to America's best. Use code MENTORS4MIL the number four, M-I-L, at checkout at uncana.com to receive your amazing discount. Read the Mentors for Military disclaimer at mentorsformilitary.com slash disclaimer. Thanks again to everyone supporting us on the podcast through Patreon. Patreon allows our listeners an opportunity to contribute to the podcast and allow us to bring you great guests and content each week. Thank you to all of our patrons and a special shout out to Jonathan Lambert for being our largest donor. You too can become a patron by visiting patreon.com slash mentors, the number four M-I-L. This is the Mentors for Military podcast. So I think on this episode, we're going to do something a little unique. Uh, we were invited into 75th Ranger Regiment, and we've got some really cool guys sitting around us at the table, and Paul's joining me on this episode. And I guess. And I think it would be really nice for us to dive into some of the things that we get in terms of questions. I know you guys do in terms of social media and um, such, where people have the opportunity to reach out to you about what is it like, how do I get in, and all those types of things. So I want to start first maybe with you guys introducing yourself. Good morning. I'm Captain Young. I'm the Regimental Recruiting Detachment OIC, and I manage a 12-man team that is stationed around the United States. Uh, I've got a few of those members here with me today. Basically, I'm the manager of a 12-person unit within the 75th Ranger Regiment composed of active duty rangers uh, who recruit and serve as the conduit between volunteers off, off what we know as the street, as well as in-service volunteers who all want to come to the 75th Ranger Regiment. So I've got a couple of them here with me today, and they're going to introduce themselves, explain our mission, and exactly what it is we do. Yes, yeah, so I'm Sergeant First Class Bishop. I'm the recruiting NCOIC. I uh, work alongside with Captain Young. Yeah, so generally for us, uh, work with my recruiting LNOs, we have them stationed at six locations throughout the world. And what we kind of do is we go to all the AIT locations. We're talking to those individuals, getting them interested, kind of letting them see the process in order to come to the same 5th Ranger Regiment. And then we're also recruiting those in-service individuals. So that's going to be Staff Sergeant Anderson is going to talk a little bit later, and he's kind of helping with that process. Okay. I'm just curious for the both of you guys, if you guys can give a little bit of your background as to how it is that you even arrived here. I know that there are many different avenues uh, that we're going to talk about for people getting into the regiment. What was the route? Kind of give me an idea for the both of you guys. Okay, yeah. So I came in as a 11 Bravo or 11 X-Ray. I came in with the Option 40 contract, and what I did was I went to my recruiter, told him I wanted to be a Ranger. He showed me the 11 Bravos or 11 X-Ray series. I was like, yep, that's what I want to do. Didn't really have a good idea of what the Rangers were, but I knew they were cool guys. I wanted to do that. So went ahead, signed up for that. And then from that process, I went into OSA, went to the RIP at that time, so the Ranger Indoctrination Program, which is now the Ranger Assessment and Selection Program. Um, Back then, it was a four-week process, kind of went through that, graduated, went to um, my gaining battalion after that. Okay, and you ended up at 3rd Bat. Yeah, so I was over at 3rd Bat. I was there. So I've been in 
11 and a half years now. Spent majority of my time there before wow. I came over to moved over to RSTB as the Air NCO, and then now I'm working as a recruiting detachment. What I find so fascinating about that is that, at least back in the day, and I think it's still pretty true, that two years is about the average, or three years, for guys being in regiment in one of the battalions. Or, And so when I meet people that have been 10, 11, 15 years, blows my mind. Yeah, it's kind of kind of the perk of being here in the regiment to where we get that stability, and we can kind of settle down, be in one location, and you get to grow up with the same guys, um, just work year-round. So Yeah, yeah, yep. very cool. And you, you sort of have a similar story, right, Sergeant Tagami? You were, why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, so I'm Staff Sergeant Tagami. I am the Fort Benning liaison for the recruiting detachment. Um, my principal duties as the Fort Benning liaison are to go to each um, infantry one-station unit training company and conduct briefs and then uh, kind of screen um, all the soldiers in that company, figure out who wants to go to the Ranger Regiment, provide them a volunteer statement, um, and give them the opportunity to volunteer to attend RASP. I also do the same process with every airborne school company. Um, so infantry OSIT and airborne school, every company, every class, I conduct briefs, take volunteers, um, and get them assignments to attend RASP, give them the opportunity to join the Ranger Regiment. Um, so like Sergeant Bishop, I. Uh, I joined the Range Regiment with an Option 40 contract. Um, I, the, I kind of had the, the benefit of having a, a close childhood friend who spent four or five years in 1st Ranger Battalion. So before I was even in the Army, I had a pretty good idea of what the Range Regiment was about and what made them different than the rest of the military. So coming in, I had a good idea of what I was getting into and kind of the, the challenges I was going to face. Um, along with that, I had a relative who was also in the Range Regiment. Um, so I, you know, went. Went to basic airborne RASP, was assigned to 3rd Ranger Battalion, um, and kind of similar to Sergeant Bishop. I haven't been in quite as long, but in for about nine years, but I spent almost eight years in the same platoon. Um, this is the yeah. first job I've had in the Army um, outside of the, the rifle platoon that I was assigned to when I first graduated from RASP, so it's a pretty wow. cool opportunity. Yeah, that's uh, again, that's pretty rare that you get to do that. It's funny because now you're doing, you, you were the first Ranger I met, you know, your counterpart. I guess like 15, 16 years ago now. And uh, I was in airborne man. school. Oh, and I went with a ranger buddy of mine to a RIP brief. It's now a RASP brief. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to go. I had orders to Italy, and I thought that's going to be real cool. But my buddy couldn't go without his battle buddy. So I'm sitting in the chair. <laughs> and some E6, just like you, showed some uh, videos of people on dirt bikes and people jumping out of airplanes and stuff like that. And, yeah, I never made it to Italy. I just ran down the street to ripping doc so changing lives man yeah i mean it's a it's a cool opportunity it's a i think the the real goal of of the job like from a like a broad spectrum standpoint is i'm not trying to like force kids to volunteer but you know somebody who's in airborne school and they're going to go to what seems like a really cool installation which it probably is like going to vicenza with the 173rd super cool opportunity but um, a lot of them just don't know that there's another opportunity right down the road at RASP that it'll be very different and probably a little bit more difficult, but um, equally cool, probably cooler, depending on who you ask. So just trying to like get the word out that um, it's even available to them. Yeah. No, I think that's uh, absolutely crucial because I was I looking back, I remember I didn't even know what a ranger was. I just knew they were cool guys and they had a special hat and they kicked a bunch of ass. And, you know, I didn't know how to get there. I didn't know if it was an option to me or if I had to go to my gaining unit first or whatever. So before we get to Sergeant Anderson, I want to go back to Captain Young because Captain, as being an officer, how was it that you came into the pipeline yourself? 
So unlike these two uh, fine ranger NCOs, uh, it took me about seven and a half years to um, get to the ranger regiment. So back in 2011, I graduated and commissioned from Indiana University. I was an ROTC grad, Reserve Officer Training Corps grad. Um, I went to Infantry Basic Officer Leader course and then Ranger School as a platoon leader in the 101st and a company commander in the 82nd and finally applied and uh, very grateful to, to gain acceptance to this organization. So if you're an officer, you can apply at a number of different windows within your career from, from zero years to 20 years in service and essentially get hired. Now, you were a first lieutenant when you came in, or were you already a captain at that time? I was a second lieutenant when I commissioned. Oh, you okay, yeah. Yes, and, and I reached the, the regiment no, as I mean, a captain. Oh, as a captain, yes. really? Okay. Uh, see, that's new to me as well. I always thought that first lieutenants uh, were typically the, the way in, not not beyond that. Correct. So uh, you can apply as a first lieutenant, uh, typically after about a year with your first unit or duty station. The reason we do that is uh, it allows some maturity, some experience on the job as a first lieutenant as well as an officer evaluation report. Mm. Uh, so once we receive that, there's a number of different documents and requirements uh, that coalesce to form a full application. And then we determine if that particular candidate is a good fit for the regiment. We'll onboard them through RAS2, which stands for Ranger Assessment and Selection Program 2. It's a three-week program for E6s to E8s and O2s to O3s and even uh, O4s, which is first lieutenant through majors. I'm glad you actually mentioned that because those individuals who are on active duty right now that may be looking either officer or enlisted, and they may think, you know, okay, I'm too far you know, removed to be able to get into regiment. You know, but that was something I wanted to do. When I was a younger guy, now I'm an E6, I can't do that, you know? But yeah, the answer is, yeah, you can. Absolutely not, and they should not uh, deselect themselves. You know, yeah. allow us to do that and allow us to train you and determine if you're going to be a good fit. Yeah, I knew, I remember back in the day, the pipeline for a lot of first lieutenants even coming in was, uh, if you were a second lieutenant, the best way to do it was to go over to Korea at that time frame, you know, and get your um, first lieutenant and, you know, the regiment really at that time frame and, Tracy may remember, really liked um, first lieutenants coming in with Korean experience because you were on the DMZ, you know, you, you had the option to, to really see more of what it would be like. And, you know, so it's really cool now that I hear all of this because I think it's either much different or I just wasn't, you know, aware of that information. So I appreciate you sharing that. Sergeant Anderson, let's not forget you. Hi, I'm uh, Steph Sergeant Anderson. I work here at Fort Benning. I'm an in-service recruiter. I basically answer most if not all emails that come into us. I've been in Range Regiment my entire career, which I went uh, Option 40, 11X back in 2008, and uh, went OSIT, Airborne, then RIP, then uh, came to 1st Battalion. And uh, I was there until 2017 and came up here to be a recruiter. So when you're a recruiter, you're not 79, you're not a, uh, or you're not, you didn't go through USAREC and get the badge and all that then? No, I'm still 11 Bravo right now. Okay. See, people might hear that and they go, oh gosh, Sam, Sergeant Anderson, he's a recruiter. So I just wanted to clarify. <laughs> he's one of the good guys. <laughs> <laughs> but let's rewind now that we're talking about that and go back to, you know, USAREC. So a lot of people are not, again, really sure if this is something that they want to do. If they are, they go down to um, the recruiter and they say, hey, listen, I've heard about this thing called Option 40, or they just may say, hey, I want to be a regiment. 
uh, being a regiment. Now, I was I was on the recruiting side. I was on the bad guy side. So, you know, we knew that when you went down to MAPS that it was going to be the guidance counselor. After you made it to the ASVAB, you made it to the physical, you were going to sit down with the guidance counselor and you were going to uh, get the options laid out as what MOSs you were qualified for, you know, based on your red-green colorblindness and hearing and everything else that went into your physical um, and if the individual didn't know to ask for option 40, they may not because they, they may be looking at specific MOSs at the needs of the Army at that time frame. That's going to be the first pitch they're going to lay on them. And then the second pitch is going to be maybe what you want. Um, so what I used to tell people is that, listen, if you don't see the option available and that's something you're dead set on, then go back. You don't have to enlist that very first time. And this is not something you guys got to answer. I'm just putting that out there for the people who are listening who may be interested. Go back down to the maps, you know, a second time, a third time when the option 40 may not be available. Or we're going to talk about other routes that still may lead to that same path that they may not be familiar with. So let's say you get option 40 and you come in. What does that really guarantee in an individual coming in with an option 40 contract? So your option 40 contract, that's what's going to guarantee you the chance to actually come to RASP. So anyone who doesn't have that, they're going to go. They're going to go through OSUT. If they have an Option 4 contract, they'll go to Airborne School. Then they'll go to their unit within the Army. Um, that Option 40, that's guaranteeing you the chance to come to the Ranger Assessment Selection Program and actually try out for the 75th Ranger Regiment. Mm-hmm. So there's no guarantee, guarantee you're going to be wearing a tambray. It's not like you're going to go through, get that Option 40 and go, I'm already there, guys. Yes. You still got to make it through OSUT. You still got to make it through Airborne. You still exactly. got to make it the so rest. There's no, there's no guarantee once you get to airborne school or OSA, any basic training really, because we take all option 40s. It's all the MOSs. It's not just your 11 series. Uh, but those individuals, they're still going to have to pass the course. Uh, whatever that basic training curriculum is, they're going to have to pass that. Once they pass that, then they'll go ahead and move on to AIT, or if it's the 11 series, they're going to be in OSA. They're going to pass that, and then from there, that's when they're actually going to come to us, and then they'll have to pass our standards. And then once you do pass the RAS standards, you'll go to airborne school, and we still, we're going to require you to pass those. If you don't pass that, then it's still going to be you didn't fulfill the Option 40 contract. But most individuals, they're going to pass uh, airborne school. It's a fun school. Go, go there, have a time of their life for three weeks, and they're going to come to their gaining battalion. Right. Cool. And then that Option 40 contract, does that guarantee which battalion you're going to go to, or does that depend on something else? So Option 40 contract, the only guarantee that that gives you is the opportunity to attend RASP. Um, beyond that, that's, that's the only guaranteed Option 40 gives you. Um, which battalion you end up at um, typically is going to be based on the needs of the regiment. So based on your MOS, um, which battalion needs another um, ranger of your MOS the most, um, that's where you're going to end up. Um, there's obviously, like, we're human beings here too, so there's extenuating circumstances that can affect that one way or the other on a, on a case-by-case basis. But generally speaking, when you graduate RASP and graduate Airborne School, you're going to go to the battalion that needs you with your specific skill set the most. So let's back up to a little bit because it's not just infantry that can get into regiment, right? And so there's a ton of different MOSs. So people who are listening to this, they automatically assume that a person that's in, you know, becomes a ranger and works in ranger regiment, is assigned to a ranger regiment, is an 11 series. That's incorrect. Completely incorrect. So there's over 100 ways to be a ranger. I think we're up to 67 MOSs on the enlisted side, uh, with some of our newest additions being the cyber warfare soldiers, the 17 series. 
And then for officers and warrant officers, don't want to forget warrant officers, uh, we've got a, about an additional 30 to 40. And we have some very uh, niche like uh, functional areas of officers that serve on the regimental staff. So there, there's an abundance of ways to serve as a U.S. Army Ranger in your respective MOS. I think I like what you said initially. You said something about let us deselect you. Don't start deselecting yourself. So, again, if you come into an MOS and you think, oh, it doesn't match, well, okay, then submit and find out. You know, let let the regiment say, no, we don't need you. Um, I think that's a, that's a good way of putting it. So once you get in and you're in OSET, you mentioned earlier that, you're going to meet you because you're going to come into um, the OSIT and you're going to lay out a presentation about you know, how to be a ranger or what it takes to be a ranger. Yeah, absolutely. So as the as the Fort Benning liaison, um, I work on my office is on Sand Hill, like in infantry basic training land over there. So um, there's about 40 basic training companies on Sand Hill. And every time a company is in cycle, uh, about midway through a little bit after midway through their training cycle, when they hit AIT, um, I'll go over and conduct a brief and kind of lay out what it means to be in the Ranger Regiment, what we do, what it takes to get to the Ranger Regiment. And then at that point, uh, anybody that wants to volunteer to attend RASP has the opportunity to volunteer. Um, there's some some hard and fast qualifications to join the Ranger Regiment that I go over, but once I've screened all those uh, applicants, anybody that volunteers goes to RASP after they graduate OSIT um, in, in almost every way. Volunteering for RASP in OSIT is functionally identical to coming in with an Option 40 contract. There's zero difference in pipeline, um, no difference in pay, commitment to the Army in terms of length of service or bonuses. Everything is the same. So um, just because you couldn't get an Option 40 with your recruiter, because they do sell out, right? There's a, there's a given yeah. number of Option 40s available each fiscal year. They're spread out geographically across the country. So... If a recruiter is telling you that, hey, like I don't have an option 40 to offer you right now, they're probably not lying to you. They're probably telling you the truth because for your given MOS that you're trying to, to enlist as, um, they might just be out. There might not be any more contracts available for that year. Yeah. Um, but if you qualify otherwise, based on GT score, citizenship, eligibility for a security clearance, and that you're active duty, you go to you know basic training and then AIT. We have so there's liaisons just like me at Fort Huachuca, Fort Jackson, Fort Lee, and Fort Gordon. So if you go to um, AIT at any of those locations, um, you're going to get a recruiting brief just like I do with the infantry OSIT companies. Um, you have the opportunity to volunteer there. And like I said, functionally identical to coming in with an Option 40 contract. You're you're targeting it sounds like the locations of where the MOS pipeline. Um, are going to lead into regiment. So you guys are located at those specific locations where you can get those resources. Yeah, that's correct. So yeah. we're, we have liaisons at all of the installations where there's, um, you know, AIT advanced individual training for the, the majority of the MOSs that we hire in the Ranger Regiment. Cool. Um, I think just based on manpower, we can't support every single AIT location and have, have Rangers everywhere. Um, but the, the biggest installations that produce the most um, soldiers and the MOSs that we're trying to, to acquire um, we have liaisons there. And anybody else that's at an installation that we don't have liaisons, whether it's Fort Sam Houston if you're 68 Series or Fort Leonard Wood, um, you can always reach out to us via social media, our recruiting email address. Um, reach out to us that way, and we can help you uh, get through the process as well. Yeah, and that's, that's one of the good things. We do. We also have an LNO over at Fort Seal uh, who's handling that location. 
But those locations, like Sergeant Tagami was saying, so your Fort Sam Houston, your Fort Leonard Wood, we were actually there last week doing recruiting trips for those individuals, giving them the opportunity uh, to go ahead and sign a volunteer statement. And we're trying to hit those locations to where we're going to be out there at least once every four to six weeks. So that way, every individual who is going through AIT will see us at least once, and then they'll have that opportunity to volunteer. Oh, that's great. You guys are taking on a road show. Yeah, um, so we, we travel constantly. Um, and then I'm sure we'll get into it later also with the in-service recruits, but we're going to all the installations, just kind of giving them the brief, let them know what we do, um, just so we kind of spread spread the knowledge, let everyone know how to get into the regiment and make mm-hmm. it as easy as possible. Yeah. So if you are in service and you want to come to the regiment, what does that look like? So for anybody that's in service uh, that wants to volunteer for the Range Regiment, what we require uh, is basically from your DOD sourced email, we want your most updated SRB, your soldier record brief, in PDF format. And we go over it, screen and make sure you're qualified. Uh, then we'll send you out a RASP 1 or RASP 2 packet, depending on your rank. So once you complete your RASP 1 or 2 packet, you send it back to that email, the 75recruit at SOCOM.mil, and we'll make sure it's complete, and we'll send you uh, ATARS reservation if you're E4 non-promotable or below, E5 or E4 promotable and higher. Uh, we'll put you on the NCO hiring portal to get approved by the RSM and gaining battalion CSMs before you'll, you'll get your RASP slot. Now, if you're not qualified based off your SRB, we'll actually tell you what you need to do to be qualified if it's possible. Wow. So you're you're kind of meeting these people in the middle. It's not just like in the old days. You know, it's like you're either good enough or you're not good enough, and you sometimes aren't even really assessed uh, before they say, ah, no, you don't look like a ranger, which yeah. is really, really old school, I think, <laughs> you know, even before my generation. Yeah, but you're actually going to meet these people in the middle a little bit, tell them, hey, you're not quite there yet, but these are some of the things you can do to get there. Yes, we'll, we'll send out PT programs if you need it. Um, we'll tell you if you need to improve your GT score or get a secret clearance um, or if you need to wait because of a D-row state. So, like, some of the issues we're going to run into, just, like, GT scores, for one thing, how we talked about meeting in the middle. Uh, right now, we require 105 GT score for you to come to the regiment, but we're going to be able to waive cases. as a case-by-case basis. We could waive it down to a 90 GT score. So just depending what your MOS is, everything like that, that's where we're going to kind of work with you, and we could get you down to a 90 if you're a qualified individual. Pretty much, uh, right now, all of our 11 series, they're not going to be able to come in with a waiver. They're going to have to have that 105 if they're an in-service individual or coming from OSUT. Uh, all other individuals, though, is going to be basically a 90 to where we could waive it down to. So that's just that's just one of the things we're currently doing, but that's going to change all the time just depending on the manning of the regiment, what we actually need. So, so, so one of the themes I'm hearing here is don't deselect yourself. Yeah, you I keep may, hearing that over and over again yeah. in this conversation, which is very different than what I guess it used to be. Well, I think it might have always been that way, not to deselect yourself. Like, you got to show up and do it, and if you make it, you make it. But I don't think anybody knew that. No. You know, they I don't think it was wider on the outside. Yeah. Right. That's awesome. Well, so then there's another opportunity, right? Because after OSED, you've got airborne school, and I know you guys used to come into airborne school as well. Yeah, so starting to get me again, I, being the Fort Benning liaison, I brief infantry OSED and airborne school as well. So... Uh, with airborne school, the, the process is very similar. Um, typically, it's going to be day three of the course um, at 05 in the morning. So it's a it's an early day, but anybody that's interested in the Ranger Regiment can come out to that brief and 
same same kind of format, right? Like who we are, what we do, what it takes to get to the Ranger Regiment. Um, and then again, the opportunity to volunteer if you're interested. Um, and then at that point, um, again, same, same screening process, um, find the, the qualified um, applicants, and then they're gonna get put on assignment to attend RASP. So for the Airborne School Brief, just like uh, any of the basic training briefs, um, you have to be an IET soldier, so initial entry training soldier. Um, meaning you're in trainee status, haven't arrived at a, a permanent duty station yet in your career. Um, and if you are that sort of soldier, um, you can volunteer in Airborne School, and then immediately upon completion of Airborne School, um, we come and pick you up, bring you over to pre-RASP the day of graduation, and then you're in the, the pipeline to attend RASP as soon as you graduate from Airborne School. Okay, so then if you are in Airborne School and you are currently in service at a unit, you would probably talk to Sergeant Anderson in that case. Yeah, so... Because you'd be an in-service recruit Yeah, absolutely. So if you're, if you're in service... Um, there's just there's nothing that I can do like on the fly to uh, get that that soldier to RAS just because there's a lot that goes into that. Right. Their their unit probably paid their TDY to get them to mm. airborne school. Right, you belong um, to somebody. Yeah, like you you, <laughs> you 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 there's somebody you report to, so I can't just like pull you out and yeah. put you in in RAS. That would, it, it wouldn't work. So they I have them come to the brief pretty commonly. I can answer their questions, get them contact info, so that when they do get back to their unit. Um, they have all the information they need to get the process started. I also thought I heard something in the conversation where you guys had mentioned that you can go from OSIT, you can go to RASP, and, and not the airborne piece in between. So is that now the situation? Yeah, so now the current situation is we're going from OSIT to RASP, and then we're going to go ahead and send those individuals to airborne school. Um, we're just kind of doing that because it was being sold for the Option 40 contract as, hey, you sign Option 40 contract. You're going to go to basic training, you're going to go to your AIT, you're going to go to airborne school, and then you'll just drop your contract, and then you'll go to the regular Army. That's how you're going to be able to get that um, just airborne slot, and you could be an airborne unit. So to kind of counter that, we have individuals actually coming in with the Option 40 contract. We're going to send them to RASP after OSET before going to airborne school. So it's kind of helped with our numbers, and we've seen a change in how many people actually quit voluntary withdrawal versus when it was flip-flop. Okay, okay so, so that's a positive increase, I'm guessing. Yeah, so it's been a positive increase for us. Awesome. We've decided we're going to come to the Ranger Regiment. We've got our RASP date. We pass it. We get our tambourine. And then I guess if we've come from OSIT, now we're going to Airborne School. But then we get to our unit. What can we sort of expect? Because you guys must get asked this question a lot. They say, hey, I think I want to be a Ranger. I want to be a badass. But what's it like when I'm there? So what sort of what do you, what do you tell these people? So what I typically brief to soldiers um, – this is me slightly off topic at first, um, kind of having to do with like the don't don't deselect yourself. Um, the so the RASP it's it's only eight weeks long for RASP one, and that is the that is the entirety of the pipeline to join a special operations unit. Um, we're pretty unique in that way. So RASP it's it's an eight week training pipeline with assessment and selection built in because that's the only touch point that we have with soldiers before they are full fledged Rangers in the Ranger Regiment. So. Um, it's important to not deselect yourself because the RASP cadre do a super good job of figuring out who is a good fit for the organization and who is not. Um, so when you attend RASP, you just have to go there with your, your best foot forward, make sure you've prepared yourself as much as you possibly can, um, attend RASP, and then let us select you to, to send you um, to a unit or to a, a battalion. Um, so once you get to a battalion, though, RASP is only eight weeks long. We can, we can ex build on the fundamentals that you learn during basic training and kind of teach you some slightly more advanced marksmanship, um, some breaching um, training, a little bit of medical training. Um, but then from there, you're going to get 
thrown into an environment where you have team leaders and squad leaders who are all extremely professional, pretty experienced, and have a very good grasp of training Rangers um, to like a, a very high level. RASP is going to get the, the rough edges smoothed out, um, but then your team leaders and squad leaders at your battalion are going to be the ones who truly like train you and make you into a Ranger in the Ranger Regiment. Um, it's a super, super fast-paced environment. You're going to feel like you're going a million miles an hour for the first few months that you're there. Um, but it's super worth it, and it's, it's going to be a lot of work, but you're going you're gonna to see vast improvements in yourself, whether that's physically, tactically, technically, everything in a pretty short period of time. Okay, so I'm going to show up, and I'm not just putting on my tambourine and then throwing in a dip and kicking my boots up on a desk. It's going to be pretty intensive training day in and yeah, day out, I, mean, I guess. Yeah, that's, that's one of like the, the common phrases you hear in the Ranger Regiment. Um, is that it's super easy to get there, but it's super hard to stay. It's a very gotcha. competitive environment. Um, so graduating RASP is step one. Um, you're going to get into the Ranger Regiment graduating from RASP. But the things that are required of you to stay in the Ranger Regiment, um, it's a very high level of performance, um, professionalism, discipline. Um, so you're going to show up having graduated RASP, and that's, a, that's an accomplishment. I mean, not, not to downplay it at all, but um, your performance once you get to a battalion and you start training and deploying um, and being expected to perform yourself, or perform as a ranger should be performing, um, that's when it truly gets hard. So okay. there's a lot expected of you. We've actually talked about that before. We, we try to tell people that you earn that beret every day. And, and that's, you know, that's how I remembered it. And um, I think that's what's important. But I think when people want to know, okay, well, what is, what is that like and why is it so difficult and challenging versus the conventional army, what would you say? Um, I'll say it differs, just mainly the big thing, safety briefs, anything like that you get before the weekends. Your first sergeant's going to talk to you and pretty much every safety brief, they're going to have their hands up, they're going to have a um, their beret in one hand and then just empty hand in the other. This is going to be your scale. Any decision you make, you're going to have to weigh that decision. It's like, are you going to want to make this decision, lose your tambourine, or are you going to make the bad decision and be RFS? So that's the good thing or special thing about the regiment is we have RFS, which is released for standards. So if you're not upholding the Ranger standard, you will you will be released, and you're going to be sent out to the regular Army conventional forces. So that's why we kind of have that scale, like, wait, make your decisions. Do you want to keep that tambourine, or do you want to move out to the conventional forces? So that's a popular thing, and that's what kind of holds individuals accountable to where, like, you have to work every day. You have to earn your spot in the regiment. Maybe in the day in the life, you can explain why Ranger Regiment is so important to the Army and, and what you guys do. As a whole, the Ranger Regiment is is a between a three and four thousand person organization that responds to you know the biggest national threats to, to our international policy um, and can be deployed worldwide within 18 hours so that's a very unique capability that, that we bring to bear there's a couple commonalities between all rangers and one of the things is that they like being part of organizations that are bigger than themselves uh, so the belonging to a team especially a team that holds itself in such high esteem and standards is very important to a lot of us and uh, the difference between the rest of the Army and this organization, the Army has standards as well. Uh, but this, this unit, I can attest, coming from the regular Army after about seven and a half years of experience, this unit uh, upholds the standard without question. It, it's a common question to ask, how many times do I have to prove myself a Ranger? And it's every day. And we, we actually honor that. Um, every year, every Ranger has to take the standards. We have to pass the same physical requirements. Uh, we can't have any pending UCMJ or you, you end up getting RFS. So. 
Um, it, it's a very pristine organization in that regard. Okay. And so what are some of the things that you guys enjoy most about being Rangers in your careers? You guys have all been here for a long time, with the exception of you, Captain Young, um, and you've weighed that beret against that empty hand quite a few times. So obviously it's not just pride, but there are some, some other perks. You know, what, what are some of those things well, that you guys Well, not say? just that, but I think there's a lot of people that say, hey, listen, I don't know if I want to go there because my perception of what that is inside that fence is maybe very different than what you guys obviously from your longevity you're, you're living it. So if you're living that standard and you're living that lifestyle, there must have been something that kept you here. Yeah, it's not all, it's not all hard work and training, right? No, I mean, it's not. It's a, I, I think a lot of us would say it's a love-hate relationship because it is. It's hard. Uh, and there's lots of times when it is really hard, but there's lots of times when you get that enjoyment and fulfillment. Everyone here is like-minded individuals. Everyone's very driven, motivated. Um, you don't have to tell individuals what to do here. They're going to they're going to assign themselves to go ahead and knock out tasks. They know we have certain training coming up. They're not going to wait for their team leader, their squad leader, tell them, like, hey, we need to get Kim Light bundles or we need to get any just any kind of thing like that created. They're going to go ahead and take the initiative, and they're going to start working. They're going to start preparing. Um, they're going to be ready to do whatever the next assignment is. So I think the biggest thing is everyone here is self-driven. They're motivated, like personalities. Majority of the individuals here, they come from – sports teams, things like that. They've been on the higher teams. They want to keep achieving more. So I think that's that's just the biggest thing. Everyone wants to achieve and everyone wants to be around individuals who are going to achieve because that's going to push you to be a better a better soldier, a better ranger. I think there's kind of two, two important points here. We talked about everybody goes to RASP. Um, one thing we kind of failed to mention leading into like this point in the conversation is RASP is the exact same for every single candidate, whether they're a cook, a mechanic, you know, an IT specialist, an infantryman, it doesn't matter. Every single candidate is expected to perform in the exact same way. The standards are the same for everybody. Everybody does the same training. So when you, when you graduate after eight weeks, the cooks have shot exactly as much as the infantrymen have. And the mechanics have blown just as many door breaches as, you know, the, the combat engineers. There's zero difference. Um, in terms of the three battalions, so we have three infantry battalions, first, second, and third. Um, Capability-wise, those battalions are identical. Um, we're not like different special operations units where there's like different teams or organizations within that unit that specialize in a certain thing. Um, every Ranger battalion is ca capability-wise the same. We're all capable of the, the same mission set. And what that provides for us is um, a little bit of continuity. Um, you know, going through like a deployment and training cycle, um, there's, there's zero like um, extra work that needs to be done to ensure that we can do good handoffs overseas or go home and pick up training. Um, and then along with that, it also gives us a lot of uh, a kind of flexibility. As an organization, we can, we can perform missions as small as, you know, a team size element doing reconnaissance all the way up to like, you know, back in 1989, Operation Just Cause is a regimental level airfield seizure. So um, having three battalions that are all capable of the same things at a very high level um, gives the regimental commander and the Army um, a pretty uh, adaptive, flexible force that it can use, like at at varying levels of uh, of size and how how they actually implement the force. And at a moment's notice, it sounds like from to just about anywhere yeah, in the very, world, very quickly. Yeah, Absolutely. I think it's important to make people understand that everybody is going through the same thing and same challenges on a, a daily basis. There's an equal mutual respect, and it's and it's a little bit different, I think, when you're out and you're maybe assigned to an airborne unit. 
um, or you may be in the conventional army or something like that, that you may not still feel that same camaraderie that you guys feel. There, there may be some disjointedness, you know, combat support versus combat arms or something. But in regiment here, you guys are you're on an equal footing. Absolutely. I'll speak to that. So shared hardship builds cohesion and camaraderie. And I, I think that's a value or a touchstone that the regiment lives by. And also to digress about what Sergeant Tagami was talking about, I want to make sure that we mention the other two battalions and the, the parent organization of the regimental headquarters. So there's also a regimental special troops battalion, which has a reconnaissance company, a communications company, and an HHC, as well as a, a very essential, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, uh, the regimental selection and training company. So that's a force generating company that is that gateway or, or pathway that enables initial entry training training soldiers and, and other in-service volunteers pass through to become rangers. And then also our, our newest addition, which was stood up in May 2017, which is the Regimental Military Intelligence Battalion. So that, that has a military intelligence company and a uh, cyber electromagnetic activities company as well, um, in addition to an HHC. So all of these forces um, fall under the regimental headquarters, which is at Fort Benning, Georgia, and they coalesce to form this, this Ranger regiment that's very adaptive and has a lot of organic capability. You know, one of the things I think that stands out to me in this conversation, though, is around um, you guys, you know, your longevity and how you speak uh, so highly of it and being a part of the unit is um, what type of leadership traits do you think that you guys gain being a part of a special operations unit? And maybe this is, again, once a, a bit of a comparison, but I just think on a daily basis, there's a leadership style in a way that you, um, you, you learn how to be a special leader in this type of environment. And those are the soft skills that you're going to take along with those hard skills as you separate out of the military. So what do you guys think? You know, whether you've been in a conventional army or not, what do you think you're bringing um, from a soft skills perspective, either back to a conventional unit if you decide to go there or if you go out and you transition out of the military to the private sector? I'll weigh in on this one as well to start, and then I'm going <laughs> to kick it to the NCOs. <laughs> but so it it's embedded with our four charters. So when I say charters, there's, there's four generals that essentially wrote letters outlining what the regiment should be. And part of that is that the regiment is responsible for being the best, but also benefiting the greater army. So officers in particular serve on a rotational basis. So my clock is ticking. I'll be out of here in about a year and a half. And I'm entrusted to permeate these best practices and lessons learned back to the rest of the army. So that's, that's definitely one of our touchstones. Uh, so for me, in terms of leadership and like kind of the lessons that I've learned, um, having spent about eight years in the same platoon, uh, you have the opportunity to see a lot of changeover. You know, multiple platoon leaders, multiple platoon sergeants. I went from rifleman to weapons squad leader in the same platoon. So every single person within the platoon at some point changed while I was there. Um, but the one overarching thing that I kind of took away from that eight-year experience is that at the end of the day, um, the whether or not the platoon was going to succeed or fail wasn't based on, you know, the equipment that we had or the training that we were doing. It was based on the people within the platoon. So, understanding that as a leader, um, the most the most energy that I should be spending on anything should be spent on the, the my subordinates, on the people that I am working on training, um, and developing. Because um, at the end of the day, I'm going to leave at some point. I did leave, and my platoon is still doing well, and not to my not to my credit, but to the credit of the, the people who are still in that platoon. Um, but just kind of understanding that, um, you know, when I, when I left, you know, 3rd Ranger Battalion, the rifle that I used and the night vision goggles that I used were still there, but that didn't, that didn't affect anything. Um, so learning while I was there to hopefully 
my legacy to Third Ranger Battalion would be, you know, affecting my subordinates in a way that would make them good leaders or, you know, hopefully better leaders than they would have been if I hadn't been there. Um, but that's kind of been like the, the big overarching lesson that I've learned in terms of leadership. I find that really unique because I spent a little bit of time in the regular army and you would find leaders that they would they would mentor you, they'd develop you, but they weren't invested on an emotional level like they were uh, in a ranger battalion. And I think it's important to point out, and you guys probably agree with me, like you, you form a bond, you know, Captain Young, you probably can see the difference. You know, you walk into a platoon and some of these guys have been together for six years, eight years, you know, some of them longer. So you get more investment from your leadership, I think. Maybe you guys agree with that. Yeah, I think I think with that investment too, um, so we have, we have like the you know the Ranger Creed. It's mm-hmm. kind of like the the guideline of of how Rangers should live their lives, um, and part of that guideline means that as Rangers we should hold our fellow Rangers accountable to the you know the the, the principles like embedded in the Ranger Creed. So if we're doing our if we're doing our jobs and we're being accountable to each other, that means as leaders, as subordinates, as peers, um, we're holding ourselves to that standard on and off duty. So. You know, my, my responsibility to ensure that I'm helping out my ranger buddies doesn't just, you know, exist while I'm at work, at the range, whatever the case. It exists 24-7, 365. That's always my job. Yeah, as somebody who's left uh, the regiment, I can say that there's a distinct lack in, of support once you leave that circle that I haven't found anywhere else. I don't think there really is a parallel for, for that. So That goes back, though, to Captain Young or what you were describing, that that's kind of your responsibility as a leader, especially an officer who come into the regiment and um, served in a leadership role to take those same traits as much as you can and apply them back into the conventional army so that, the, that those forces are trying to understand what it means to have cohesion, a teamwork, um, good leadership, and understand that, you know, we're clearly doing something so we can accomplish a mission later on. So it's important that today's mission is just as important as that mission that we're training for as well. And and I think that's what, you know, the idea and the intent a lot of regiment as well is to breed good NCOs, good officers, and in this type of setting so that you can go back within the conventional army and continue that or at least bring that out there. That's that's what I think. I think just like Staff Sergeant Common is talking, the Ranger Creed. That's kind of we all live by that. That's our that's our pride and joy, basically. That's what yeah. that's the morals. That's everything we want to do. Um, and then it says we're going to set the example for others to follow. I think the biggest thing is those individuals we work with. We're training those individuals. So even when you're a leader, when you're a squad leader, you're a platoon sergeant, you're training the individuals below you to actually take your job. Um, no one's against each other like you want those individuals to come up you want those individuals to keep going you want to see them progress and you want to see them succeed so i think that's the biggest thing and like we we're talking uh individuals here have been together for six years eight years so i know everyone says it but it truly is like a family here we have a lot of younger rangers things like that too so everyone within the platoon even when we're not at work works over everyone in the platoon is hanging out together so the weekends we're all together we're at barbecues like going out, hanging out, go to the bar, whatever we're doing, everyone stays together. So you have that bond, and I think that's what makes us so tight, and that's what the camaraderie comes from, and then that's where we're able to hold each other accountable. So once we do go out to conventional forces, um, we're living that same motto still. We want to set the example for others to follow, and we get out there, and it's a little different because individuals do come. They're there for two years, three years, then they're going on to their next assignment. So we get there, and we've seen what it looks like, 
Um, we know how individuals could work together when they do actually get on board. Everyone's on the same page. We're trying to accomplish the same goals. So once we're out there, it just makes it a lot easier. I think that's where our leadership comes into effect, where we're trying to get that same, like we're trying to get the same results that's from the regiment. It brings individuals in to where it's kind of encompassing and kind of makes that man- makes that the mentality of wherever you're at. You know, I think that applies to everyday living, no matter where you are, whether you're out in the yeah. private sector or you're in a conventional army. What you just said, I mean, the whole idea of being an NCO um, definitely is about to make those people below you, your subordinates, that much better to replace you. It's it's to lift them up, not to lift yourself up. It's not about you trying to get more trinkets and, you know, more awards and stuff like that. It really is supposed to be about that. So, you know, definitely if you're in a unit in the conventional army and you're not finding that within your unit, you can certainly wait to the next PCS or you can put in to, to come to regiment, it sounds like, uh, if you're really looking for that because that's what you you experience here on a daily basis. Yeah, you know? exactly. So we get the schools, like, we get the schools and we're going to the schools, and that's what happens with our leadership. So when you are a private, that's when you're going to all your schools. When you're a sergeant, that's when you're getting some of your cooler schools. Uh, you're a squad leader. That's when you're kind of pushing it down to your privates. You want them to get those same opportunities. You want them to come up in training also. So that's where you kind of start separating yourself to where it's not your training, like, to make yourself better. Uh, you're training to actually progress your career. That's where you kind of you've made that switch, and you're trying to bring the guys up underneath you, and then everyone's kind of progressing together. One of the things that we get a lot is, what is a ranger? And, of course, you know, there's Ranger School and there's Ranger Regiment. And so the question is, are they one and the same? Does, so does Ranger Regiment run Ranger School? Because the whole idea is to become a Ranger, and it just seems like that's the right progression. But that's not the case, right? One belongs to TRADOC and one belongs to uh, SOCOM, Special Operations Command. So there is a difference between the training and the real-life situation on a daily basis. But every one of you guys also has to go, have to go as once you become a leader or identified as a leader to go to Ranger School. So differences between Ranger School and the Ranger Regiment. Um, primarily, um, Ranger School is a school. It is run by the Army. It's based on combat leadership and learning how to you know, lead patrols and lead other people when they're extremely tired, extremely hungry, physically uncomfortable, all that. It's an extremely worthwhile school. No, nobody in the Ranger Regiment will ever tell you that, that Ranger School is a waste of time. Um, you go to Ranger School, you're going to learn a ton about combat leadership, and a ton about yourself, probably more about yourself than you learn about um, combat leadership. But that being said, it is, it, it's, it's a school. Anybody can go to ranger school. Any branch of service, uh, ranger school will host you know, soldiers from foreign militaries, um, anybody that is eligible to attend ranger school. The ranger regiment is a special operations unit. Um, we share the word ranger in our names, but um, that's about where the similarities um, uh, begin and end is just in that that single word um, part of service in the ranger regiment um, this this may be part of what confuses people sometimes to become an nco or to be an officer in the ranger regiment you will go to and you will graduate from ranger school um, if you don't graduate from ranger school as a combat arms mos um, you're you're eligible for release for standards from the organization um, we we send everybody to ranger school because it's a super good way of um, it's a good benchmark for leadership potential. So just like RASP um, is competitive and based on assessing and selecting the correct people to join the Ranger Regiment, um, Ranger School, is, it's a good vehicle for determining who we should retain within the Ranger Regiment because of the potential that getting a Ranger tab demonstrates. So if you go to Ranger School and you graduate, and then there's another soldier that goes to Ranger School and does not graduate, 
we can, with like a, a fair amount of objectivity, say that the, the soldier who earned a ranger tab um, at some point in their career has the potential or has a higher potential to be a good leader. Um, and that's the sort of soldier that, or the sort of rangers that we're trying to retain within the organization, which is why every single ranger goes to ranger school. Yeah, and that's a, I'm glad you stated that because also I think it goes back to our earlier conversation about don't deselect yourself. So if you've gone through Ranger School, you can also still apply for Ranger Regiment. It's no different, but the fact that you have Ranger School is not an automatic qualifier. Yeah, absolutely. So ha having, your, <laughs> having a Ranger tab makes you Ranger qualified, right. and being in the Ranger Regiment makes you a Ranger. Right. Simple as that. I should dispel that. We had a very long, probably an hour and a half conversation about this subject, trying to explain it to uh, personnel from the Navy and the Air Force, because they were trying to say, well, what is a ranger? Well, there's a ranger, and there's a ranger. And a, okay, so you're a ranger, ranger, and it got to a whole, like, two-hour conversation. I think it went to 1 o'clock in the morning, and then we were finally like, okay, we're just going to end this. It picked up the next day, unfortunately, but this is a heated conversation about what is a ranger and, and how do you get in a regiment. And I know that you guys on social media, when like us, when you end up posting something like that, and you see a, a soldier who has a ranger tab, but they don't have the scroll, they're not in reg, ranger regiment, you know, they go, well, that person's not really a ranger or this. And there's a whole debate goes on about 150 comments on a post. But I appreciate every single one of you guys coming on, Sergeant Bishop, Captain Young, Sergeant Tagami, and Sergeant Anderson. Thank you each for coming on the show and sharing your experiences and what you guys have done. I think it'll be not only educational, but I think a lot of people are just really curious about Ranger Regiment, what you guys do on a daily basis. Um, what it takes to become one, and then not only that, but why would I even want to join? And then when it comes to the time when I leave there, what are the benefits of why I served? And if I make the transition, how easy is it going to be of what the lessons I've learned here to the private sector? I think we covered every single one of those things, and I appreciate you guys taking the time to join us. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks.